many people don't understand or were never taught. Not that they don't understand, it's just that they were never taught about how some of your food choices, your lifestyle choices, or just the environment you grew up in, like the the massive impact that it's going to have on your longevity, your internal health, every single system of your body. And some people just inherently grow up with those support systems around them who are helping them make healthy decisions, who are reducing environmental stress for them inherently, explicitly and implicitly. People should really recognize that they are just being healthy, just to grow up and be healthy and not have anything shape that without your your knowing like how much of a privilege that really is. This is the Visible Voices podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. Before we get started, here's a word about the L word. Doctors and litigation, the L word is a self-contained podcast curriculum that uses interviews and storytelling to give you the practical and psychological preparation required to survive and even thrive during and after medical malpractice litigation. Hi listeners, thanks for joining. And today's episode focuses on health tech, specifically a company called Intus Care, and my two guests, Robbie Felton and Dr. Louise Aronson. Robbie Felton is the co-founder and CEO of Intus Care. Intus Care provides data and services to help integrated care programs improve outcomes for their patients in Medicare-managed care. The company serves 25 health plans and care programs nationwide with tens of thousands of patients. Prior to Intus Care, Robbie studied public health at Brown University. My co-discussant and guest is Dr. Louise Aronson. She's a leading geriatrician, writer, educator, professor of medicine at UCSF, that's the University of California, San Francisco, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, Elderhood, Redefining Aging, Transforming Medicine, and Reimagining Life. Now we're going to get to the conversation, and audience, you're going to hear something about PACE program. PACE is an acronym. It stands for Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. It's a type of home and community-based service that provides medical services and supports everyday living needs for certain elderly individuals, most of whom are eligible for benefits under both Medicare and Medicaid. These services are provided by an interdisciplinary team of professionals such as a primary care physician, a nurse, a social worker, a physical therapist, and a dietitian. In other words, Robbie and Louise are committed to better care for elderly in our country. Let's get to the conversation. You've said that uh, Intus Care and you, the way you lead in, is mission-driven, not market-driven. And I think that just is emphasized by what you shared. Yeah, and, and our, like my goal is for us to be able to impact, have the greatest impact on the most number of Medicare beneficiaries as we possibly can. And like I was saying, there, it's kind of a decision point. Can you have the most impact on, I guess when quantifying impact, should you have a lot of impact on a subset of members, a, a smaller subset of members, or a, I guess an incremental impact on a lot of members? So that's that's kind of the point we're at now. It's like, do we want to hunker down and do 
10 different things for a single member to optimize their care or do one thing for a million members where it might be 10% of the impact. And I'm curious is if to, if either of you have thoughts on, on that in terms of actually rebuilding how care is delivered in, in the U S which is currently inefficient, which way would you opt for? Mm. It's so interesting because it's such a different way of thinking about it. Um, and I think these sorts of conversations are, are just essential. Um, part of me thinks like if you could actually figure out how to make a 10% improvement to millions of people, if you can do 10% once, couldn't you then do another 10%? And then, and then you add another 10%, and then eventually you've transformed the system. Um, but, you know, what I know about business might fit on a small pinhead. So, you know, <laughs> take that with the grain of salt. <laughs> um, I guess my goal is always how do we provide the best care to the most people? And I love that you're focused on the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable, right? Because we often in medicine um, divorce vulnerability by age or disability status from social vulnerability. And you are looking at the people who combine both, which is usually what people want to run away from. So I think if you can improve in that sector, um, then you really open up to making all parts of healthcare better. Um, but, but how do you make that connection? You know, could you also be the bridge between the business approach and, and the very human place where you began? Um, you know, thinking not just about the language, but the product. So, so how does it's, it's, and, and, and that's, there's a tension there because you're selling to the business people in healthcare. And we all, like, even when they're on our team, supposedly, they're not the, you know, we, they seem to be working against us when we're on the ground. So how do you also speak and communicate better to, you know, the, the clinicians, the families and the patients, um, so that we're all rallying together. And I think if patients are at the center of your design, of your healthcare design, of your company build, um, you know, the doctors will always say, you'll never be wrong. That's the way to go. But I think you probably get conflicting messaging when you're pitching and you have your pitch deck and you're meeting with these angels investors and these VC people. And to that end, I actually wanted to ask, you know, how do you keep these principles um, in mind as you're doing this work and building the company? Yeah. Well, for us, it's definitely building an organization, starting with building an organization that is mission driven and an organization that understands the pain points. So I'd say a, around a third moving towards a half of our organization has actually worked in PACE programs now. We have on our executive team, a chief strategy officer who worked in PACE for a decade, was has a nursing background, also worked in Medicare managed care prior to that. And we've built a team additionally around her of, of former PACE executives, former PACE nurses, um, PACE quality managers, uh, compliance managers. So people who have been in, or in programs and understand what's going on in day to day, what are the pain points? Um, and like, what does it feel like to live and breathe being a PACE provider in, in this very unique model of care. 
and for us, like having all of those people, the nurses, the social workers and so forth involved in our, our day-to-day decision-making process. I mean, it, it keeps us on target with this is something that's going to benefit pace because our people internally who are making those decisions are people from pace. Um, so we, from an internal standpoint are making sure to be pace first. And then of course, externally with our advisors, um, customer kind of advisory boards, those sorts of things, we're, we're utilizing them to ensure that everything that we're doing is for the benefit of the stakeholders, which are the providers and the programs and the, the patients that they're serving. Um, so I'd say that's, that's really how we, we keep it focused. Um, also internal goal setting, like our goals aren't all focused on the business aspect. We have goals focused on, uh, customer success, like specifically with, can we provide value, um, or deeper value regarding individual program utilization? We monitor all of our programs. Uh, we have a customer health score, which essentially makes sure that things aren't falling off the rails, whether that's falls, infections, hospitalizations, like we, we want to be married or in tune with how successful our programs are taking care of those end end users or, or really end stakeholders, the, the patients. Tell the audience a bit about who's signed up and who's, you know, on your client roster at Intus Care. Right. When we, when we sell to a PACE program and we have 40 PACE clients currently and a few sp- special needs plans. Yeah. It, it's been crazy to see the, the growth. Um, special needs plans and then also some value-based primary care groups and at the program typically the the first call will be with someone who's an admin so the executive director um, and it's it's split i'd say nearly 50 50 whether that person is um, a clinical background or a financial background and it really varies the conversation given who that individual is um, but ultimately, who we need to get buy-in from at a PACE program is the medical director or if they have like a chief of clinical services. So whoever that that head of um, primary care is at that organization, um, whoever that lead clinician or the, the top doc, so to speak. Um, so that's, that's who we're ultimately getting buy-in from. But the decision maker, the person who signs the contract is that administrator. And then our users are the clinical managers, the frontline clinical staff, and anyone who's um, providing insight into the care planning and care coordination process for the individual PACE participants. That's so, I I was, um, I was thinking about like, how do you, like, where's the data coming from? Because you've said a few times, like, it's a bunch of different data. And now you're saying that it's the people on the ground, which is exciting to me that are providing it. But I feel like so often in medicine, it's like, not necessarily the right things. You know, it's sort of like that Einstein thing that not everything that matters can be measured and not everything that's measured matters. And, and then it, you know, we measure, I do think measurement has improved tremendously in the last decade or two, but um, yeah, do, do you do you help them 
collect things that you need that they're not collecting or and and how do you pull together just because these computer systems don't talk to each other which is a problem so how are you dealing (laughs) with that yes so we plug into the ground source of truth which is the electronic health record we plug into some of the um, also relevant information sources like claims um, any sort of member management or operational data sources that might they might have which typically manifests as someone's uh, folder of spreadsheets that they're um, compiling on a daily or weekly basis someone just has a, a monstrosity of 50 sheets that they're using to run their their program on which which is uh, like a noble effort to keep things organized, but we really provide them with um, added support and being able to visualize and keep that organ uh, that data um, structured and in a way that's going to be digestible for everyone. And saving someone thirty hours a week of of having to push lines around a, um, an Excel. Oh, and people then, will love you if you did that. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, so those are our biggest supporters, the, the person who has to manage a dozen spreadsheets. And uh, the, the other sorts of feeds we can pull in are any ancillary data sources that might provide additional color, like HIE, um, like the health information exchanges or uh, admission, discharge and transfer data, um, some of those feeds, of course, uh, pharmacy and uh, I'd say one of the most interesting things that we collect today um, is the care plan. The, there's so much value in understanding when, why, and how people are being care planned for. And we collect every single care plan for every member. We collect all of the quality plans uh, and quality work plans in QAPI. Um, documents across all of our organizations and we analyze that so we can see when these like a a change in diagnoses and an inpatient admission with a fall happens how are organizations typically responding with a change in care plan and who are they assigning those care plans to is it a, a, a pcp encounter what is actually happening to react to those events and we can see are these reactions actually adequately helping to improve patient outcomes or is it something that's are there additional gaps in care Mm -hmm. yeah that was making me think could you also compare across systems or providers so you can say oh you know this person or this programs you know when there's that situation the outcome is way better than over here and use what the the group that's having more success is doing to inform the, the less successful group exactly yeah that's that's really the 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 gold standard of us being able to help standardize the quality of care, standardize it to a very high quality of care. So if there's a protocol at, at one of our programs in Michigan and we see similar, um, if we, if we see, a, let's say it's a, a diabetes management, um, care protocol and we, we track it and we see in Michigan, this is very successful. This Michigan program agrees to let us share it with a program in North Carolina who's having trouble with diabetes we can target it to the specific members with uh, the specific clinicians they're working with at the pace program and 
help the organization improve their diabetes management using best practices from another program across the country. A question I have for both of you that you're both used to answering, um, but I'm going to ask the question that some of our listeners are wondering. Why geriatrics? Why elders? Louise, you know, you have an award-winning book that you've written on elderhood. And so, you know, what is your sort of tight answer for why you're like, well, this is why elders. And then Robbie, the same for you. Why elders? Uh, I guess I would say I'm a person who gets bored easily. Um, and with elders, you have a huge range of health and of health status, functional status, goals. I need to understand what's happening at the disease and organ level, but at the whole person, the environment, physical and social environment. Um, I get to see people who are healthy and people who are frail. I get to be in different settings of care. Um, it's just always exciting. I'm always learning. Um, and I always can, can both do the, the narrow picture and the big picture. And because there's been so little attention in this space, the opportunities to make, to make a difference with your life and your work and to be creative are enormous and never ending. For me, it's, it started with my mother and spending time in PACE programs in some of the seniors' homes, it just had an impact on me knowing that, well, everyone, for the most part, will be old one day, and people deserve dignity, high-quality care, and um, focus on their well-being. Um, because it, I'd be sad if I was 70 and I felt forgotten so I just, I want to make sure, starting with healthcare, that people don't feel forgotten because every single one of us will be old one day. Yeah. When you're on these podcasts, these interviews, people ask some of those same questions. And I'm wondering, Robbie, what question are you waiting for someone to ask you? N no one's asked me if, if, uh, if I still want to go into geriatric medicine after kind of seeing the, the, not necessarily the skeletons in the closet, but being more involved in the, the process. And my answer to that would be, I still don't know. I, I think it would be a very difficult but interesting challenge being able to be more on the ground and hands-on with patients. But also there are so many fabulous clinicians who are very good at what they do and there's going to be an, a never-ending need to better support those people in their their daily work lives so someone's got to fight the the other fight of bringing them the tools and the systems that they they might need to continue to do their jobs and not burn out and uh, be as successful as they, they can. This process has required you to use your voice. And I'm wondering from high school to college to post-college, building a company, being a founder, an entrepreneur, a CEO, what have you realized about your voice and how you use it? I've realized as I've gone on uh, this journey how little that I know. 
when I was when I was younger, you, I thought that I could take on the world and that I, I knew everything that I needed to know to be successful. But the, the older I get, the more I realize there's so much more to learn. Um, and it's, it's a humbling experience. So I'd say from a, a voice perspective, I like coming out of, of high school, going, going to Brown, biggest accomplishment of my life at the time, never ending confidence. But now as I've gotten older, you realize there are so many challenges that you can't always solve and confidence can't always solve. Um, so it's important that I, I just keep learning because I, I lo- know so little, just peanuts compared to, to what I, I sh- need to to be able to, to be as successful in, in the missions that I have personally. I want to push back on that a little bit uh, in that, like you've learned, right? You graduated with a degree from Brown University. Um, you now have delivered a few successful pitches, had some successes at hackathons. So you've certainly learned a bit. You know, you're on the podcast with Louise and myself today using your voice. How do you think it's changed from when you first started at sort of, again, the infant birth to now what you defined, I think, into scares at adolescence? I think my, my actual voice has changed even in the way, in the way I talk, I definitely, I like to ponder more, um, because now like the of like being on this platform the or being on this podcast the platform is so much larger um and i'd like to be yeah as in, intentional with what i say as i possibly can because you you never know who's who's listening you never know like what 15 year old is listening to this podcast and it's shaping what their future goals, plans, and trajectory, um, maybe. And yeah, I, I just want to always make sure that what's being put out there is positive. Um, and yeah, and I, I can confidently say that, yeah, I, I want to continue to keep learning so that everything I can say and, and present out, out to the, the, worldwide audience it's going to be a positive impact on on the next person who wants to start a a geriatric healthcare data company or whatever it might be yeah i think confidence plus humility sounds like a winning combo for a ceo to me you know and throw in some curiosity and compassion and and all of that that seems that seems great For our listeners who perhaps have grown up with access to education, access to wealth, access to learning, you know, what do they not know about the community that you are serving with this work uh, that they need to know that we need to educate them about? Someone's living circumstances specifically when they're growing up, the things you learn when you grow up impact your health substantially. 
many people don't understand or were never taught. Not that they don't understand. It's just that they were never taught about how some of your food choices, your lifestyle choices, um, or just the environment you grew up in, like the, the massive impact that it's going to have on your longevity, your internal health, every single system of your body. And some people just inherently grow up with those support systems around them who are helping them make healthy decisions, who are reducing environmental stress for them inherently, explicitly and implicitly. Um, and people should really recognize that they, they are just, just being healthy, just to grow up and be healthy and not have anything shape that without your, your knowing like how much of a privilege that really is. Um, because a lot of the participants in PACE programs, like they are, you're 75, you spent 40 years of your life working on a factory floor, inhaling toxic gas, and you have arthritis because you've been working with your hands and they didn't have the luxury to choose to work in a bank or consulting and not have the the physical stress of laboring and that lack of stress might add an extra i i don't know the exact science behind that portion but maybe it's an extra 10 years or an extra five years on average across the population. Um, and yeah, people, people just don't realize that and kind of take it for granted, just being healthy. Louise, what would you add? I think that's just right. I mean, you can look in parts of the United States and see a 30 year difference in longevity. Um, and it has to do with, you know, privilege versus disadvantage with geography, with all sorts of things like that. Um, and that is, you know, sort of morally appalling, but also an opportunity to truly um, improve the health of the people at the distal end. And um, I think so often in the sort of health tech or, you know, cutting edge um, venture capital arena, it's about making the haves live even longer. You know, the people who say we don't have to die, you know, I could live to 150. Um, what about the people who are dying in their 40s, 50s and 60s? What about giving them the extra 20, 40 years, the rest of us who are more privileged already have? Um, I love that as a vision for, for something to do to really make a difference in the world. Great. So a call to action. Robbie, how can listeners help you and help Intis Care? Listeners can help me and help Intis Care by supporting geriatric care, specifically um, senior care organizations locally, um, and getting informed and engaged in PACE. Um, PACE has very strict marketing restrictions. Uh, like there, there are limitations on how much they can outreach in their communities to members, which is unfortunate, um, and has, um, kind of inhibited the, the growth of that model of care. So if there are agencies, communities, organizations that individual people are a part of, whether that's a church, meals on wheels, um, uh, 
area agencies on aging, uh, food banks where there might be members coming in, even if it's someone who has an elderly loved one at home, figure out if there's a PACE program in your, your area. You can go to the National PACE Association website. There's a, a PACE map. And if someone might be eligible for that program, see if they, they're they willing to reach out to the program. Um, because more enrollment in the program, it, it's good for the individual patients, participants, and members who join it because it's a comprehensive model of care. There's no cost to the members. So you're getting top quality care. And it's also good for the program because the more PACE grows, the more they're able to reach new counties, communities, um, the more they're able to grow their staff and, and further their mission to improve dual eligible care nationwide. And I would add that it's good for family caregivers because there's so much more support than you're going to get from primary care and that clinicians should be referring people. If you're seeing somebody in the ER, in the hospital, even in your outpatient clinic, who has really high complexity, and you know your clinic or your service is not able to handle that. The PACE is much better set up for this. Um, And so you do everyone a favor by making an appropriate referral. The Risa Wrap-Up. Special thanks to Louise and to Robbie for joining me in conversation. How special it was to converse with these two special humans. First of all, Louise, uh, with her book, Elderhood, and her lifelong work in geriatric medicine, really seeing the importance of this community, because all of us are going to grow old, and none of us want an unhealthy, to the best of our ability, older age. Robbie, to your insight, to your maturity, to your innovation regarding pivoting and really focusing on maximizing the quality of health that can be delivered to elderly through PACE programs, through your knowledge and exposure as an adolescent and as a young adult, and we cannot wait to see how Intus Care soars. That's it for this week, audience. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown discussing topics of healthcare equity and current trends. Our production team includes Stacey Gitlin, Dr. Giuliano DePorto, and me, Dr. Risa E. Lewis. Please find me on social media at Risa E. Lewis and through the website, thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Share the podcast with a friend today. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, to be continued. <laughs>